welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. And today I'm going to be talking about shame and guilt. Um, I don't know why I picked this topic. I think it just kind of was something that was was floating around in my mind. Um, what I was thinking of was how I was thinking of the concept of how when I go to bed at night, I'm the only one that is inside my head. You know what I mean? I can talk all day long to people whether good or bad, good relationships, bad relationships. I mean, I didn't have any bad relationships today, but they come and they go. And, um, you know, I have conversations where I'm helping people and, um, and I, and I also was just filled with gratitude this evening. I was asked to speak at a uh, sobriety meeting that was based in Florida. So I shared my experience, um, the same thing that I've been sharing on my podcasts, uh, every day. And the response I got from those people in that meeting just filled my heart. It just filled me. I mean, they just, were so nice to me. Um, I did get extremely emotional in that meeting. I think it was long overdue for me to, um, to put together my story and tell it to people that I don't know. Um, there's something in that there's healing in that. And it really just, meant so much to me. I was really happy that I was asked to do that. Um, And I shared that with them. But what I was thinking is, no matter what I say, and share on my podcast and in, you know, a speaker meeting, or with my friends, and my family, my loved ones, I'm still the only one who knows me through and through no matter what. There is nobody who knows me better than I do. And I have to be my own best friend. Um, I remember when I was growing up, my mom used to tell me, I used to say all the time, poor mom, I used to say all the time, I'm bored. I'm bored. Mom, mom, I'm bored. I used to say it all the time. And, um, you know, I'm sure that that was very annoying, Um, but she, you know, she did her best to try to guide me towards something to do or, you know, um, you know, I can't remember exactly what her response was, but I do remember her giving me the, the sense that I need to be comfortable with myself like being alone. And I wasn't for the longest time. I didn't like to be alone. I always felt like I was missing out on something. Like when I was in 
middle school and high school, I very much felt like if I wasn't out and about in whatever capacity that is, I was missing out on something. And it wasn't until I got sober that I realized that I wasn't missing out on anything. What I was missing out on by constantly trying to find happiness outside of myself rather than inside myself was fulfillment, you know, was, was truly getting to know myself. And I think I, I didn't, I didn't want to get to know myself. I don't think I liked myself. I, you know, that might not be the best way of saying it. I just, I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, I, I didn't know the, the unlimited opportunities that existed just inside myself. I thought I had to search for them outside of myself, but really they always lived inside of me. And I never, ever knew that until I stopped drinking at age 42. At age 42, I finally was able to look past the person I see in the mirror and look deep inside and see that there's so much I have to offer to myself. So I wanted to talk about shame and guilt because really I wanted to try to articulate for my own benefit and for whoever's listening what the difference is between shame and guilt. And so this is what this is what I put together here. So shame is is focused on who I am. You know, I'm ashamed of who I am. It's a result of my character defects and how they've affected me. It's all me. It's me-centered. And it gives me feelings of being mortified. It gives me feelings of self, self-loathing. It's about looking at my relationship with myself. And then I thought, where does shame come from? I think that shame, this is interesting, and we'll see how it comes out as I try to explain it. I think shame are, comes from seeds that are planted from our environment, whether it's people, places, or things. But what gives those seeds, the nutrients to grow is our own acceptance of them. If we're going to accept those seeds, then they grow into shame. If we reject them, then they don't. But if those seeds grow into shame... They result in 
for me, self-punishment. And I touched on this yesterday, and maybe that that's why it was kind of stuck in my craw. But the way that I punished myself about the shame that I felt was through not eating. And I still do it. It very much still exists inside of me. It's not something that I have just completely gotten rid of. I know it still exists, but I, but because I know it exists and because I talk about it out loud, I'm less likely to get really ill from, from not eating. I was eating dinner tonight with my boyfriend and I said to him, we get this, I, I mentioned it before, we get this um, every plate where you order your meal and it comes in a box. And we get four dinners per week. And he's been nice enough to be cooking the dinners for us. But what's really nice is they, we have, it's two servings. So whatever's on my plate, I know is one serving and it's a real serving, not like a restaurant serving. It's a probably a little more than what I think um, the back of boxes say a serving is, you know, like five Skittles is a serving. Yeah, right. Whatever. So, but it's a serving. It's not too much to make me feel disgustingly full, um, but it's enough that I'm not still hungry for the rest of the night. So, um, I said to him, I'm really happy that we have this because when I have this plate in front of me, I know that this is what I have to eat for dinner. And what that means to me, and he knows that I, that I struggle with it too, what it means to me is that I'm regulating and paying attention to how much I'm eating. I'm aware. You know, I didn't want to finish that plate tonight. I also didn't want to finish my sandwich today. That's Those are the two things I ate today. I ate a sandwich and I had that uh, plate of um, farmer's market linguine. <laughs> um, but I didn't want to finish either of them because I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, it's just... That's what happens when I'm not feeling super positive and, and uh, energetic. I think also when I'm not running around doing all of my normal activities like, uh, you know, taking long walks and playing with the dogs and kayaking and doing all these things that I like to do, um, I eat less. So um, anyway, um, but I think I don't eat enough still. Um, so I have some checkpoints in place to make sure that I am eating. And it's also on my, my world-famous schedule that is on my whiteboard. Um, so shame, I heard somewhere, shame, what it does inside us is the same thing that trees do when it rains. You know how the leaves just turn over when it rains? That's really kind of what our spirit does inside us, you know? It just turns over. And um, 
and shame, there are people who go through just absolutely horrific experiences that lead to this uh, life-altering levels of shame. Um, I do not recall going through anything that that was that catastrophic in my life that caused me to feel the incredible amount of shame that I that I lived with for so long. I don't really know what it was other than that other people planted seeds inside of me and I didn't have the strength or the courage or the um, confidence to reject those seeds. And so even, even if somebody were to say, you know, 10 wonderful things to me, positive, encouraging, loving, appreciative things to me, if there was one negative thing in there, that was sandwiched in the middle, I believe that that would be the one that I remember after the conversation. And I bet a lot of you would do the same thing. It's, it's, I don't know what it is, but these negative things seem to, they seem to get bigger than the positive things. And they seem to, be heavier than the positive things. And I let those things define me for so long, and I still fight it. I heard when I first started uh, sobriety that nobody has permission to take my serenity away from me. I have to give it to them, and I'm not willing to do that. And I really liked that. That that helped me understand that I have a gate between the outside world and what's inside of me. And I can filter and regulate what I'm going to let in and what I'm going to reject. And I, I never knew that. I just, whatever was thrown my way, I just absorbed it because I thought that the, I didn't have a choice. You know, I've talked a lot about how feelings are choices. This is, this is my... This is my realization, and it's just been becoming more and more real to me the longer I'm in sobriety, is that I I can choose today whether I'm going to feel happy, um, if I'm going to be angry, if I'm going to feel shameful or guilty, I can choose that. And if I choose that, 
it's my own fault. You know, I think that without the alcohol, I have been healed enough mentally that I that I'm able to start making those choices for how to feel. But before I took the alcohol away, I didn't feel like I had any choice in life. Um, what happened to me, what I was feeling, it was all, it was all out of my control. I didn't have any sort of way to stop what was coming at me. I just kept absorbing it and absorbing it. And, um, and it was killing me, you know, it was killing me on the inside. And, and so I chose alcohol to, to deal with it, to not deal with that. I shouldn't say to deal with that. I chose alcohol to cover it up. So, in addition to the alcohol, you know, I've, I've dealt with eating, restricting my eating, and in stroke recovery, I've been dealing with this chronic pain in my head. And so, for the past two years, I've been going through what I've been calling denial. Um, You know, but there's a little bit of like, do I deserve to get the medical attention necessary to feel like everybody else? You know, there's a little, there's still that little bit of, am I worthy, I guess, you know? So in my recovery program for sobriety, the steps are what has uprooted that shame. And what the, I think the rest of my life is about is figuring out what to put in that space that's left over, that's left behind when the shame comes out and what, and what to do with it. And I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a process. It's a, it's a lifetime journey of, of filling those holes that shame left behind And I had a lot of it. You know, if I really think about it and I start reflecting on um, however painful it is to reflect on things that I had absorbed from my environment that I didn't have to. um, And then I think about pulling those roots out like a carrot. I have a book that has uh, talks about meditation and you meditate and think about um, I don't know your pain is a carrot and you pull the carrot out of the ground I haven't really been sold on the book yet but anyway um, 
maybe I am now because I'm using it as a as a reference. But if you assume that that shame is a carrot and you're pulling it out of the ground, that hole that's left behind needs to be filled with something. And in the beginning of sobriety, I started filling that with, uh, with this concept of a higher power and with, um, you know, learning from other people. Filling it, I guess, with other people's strength and hope until I could grow my own. And so it's going to take, I know, my whole life to be able to heal my whole body. But it's happening a little bit at a time. Another thing I heard was uh, the analogy of <clears throat> thinking of a golf club and hitting a golf ball and just the slightest movement of the golf club in, in either direction, right or, you know, right or left, makes an incredible change in the trajectory of the ball and where the ball ends up. And so I'm quite certain that the choices that I'm making today, these small things like doing a podcast, like, um, going on short-term disability for work, you know, all these little things that I'm doing in my life are changing, uh, making an incredible shift in where I end up in my life. And I have to, I have to keep my eye on that, you know, keep my eye on the ball, I guess, um, that it may not feel like much is changing right now. Certainly doesn't feel like it's changing much with my <laughs> vision therapy, but um, or with the MRI that I keep having to postpone, but I can talk about that another time. But as I continue to make these choices, my trajectory is, is changing, and I'm going to end up in a completely different place than I would have had I not done anything. So this that so that is shame. Um, so shame is more looking at my relationship with myself and what that self-talk looks like. So guilt is looking at my relationship with others. So as I said, shame is the result of how my character defects have affected myself. I think that guilt is the result of my character defects and how they affect others. So shame is who I am. Guilt is what did I do? And as much as guilt can be lessened when someone else says, you know what, everything's okay. You know, like in my sobriety program, if I were to make amends to somebody, um, if they say, you know, I forgive you, everything's fine, don't worry about it, 
everything's okay, then that guilt is, is lessened. You know, it starts to dissipate. Because if they're not holding on to it, then I shouldn't hold on to it. But shame can only be removed if we are able to tell ourselves that everything is okay. And how do you do that? What, what, you know, if, if all of the, if shame is the result of my environment planting seeds inside me and I either reject them or I nurture them, allow them to grow into shame, then how do I dig that up? And what, where do I get the shovel? Like, how do you even begin to get rid of that? Guilt is necessary for healing. Guilt allows us to approach our relationships, talk through them, and begin to heal them. Shame, there's no healing in shame. Shame is, is paralyzing. You know, shame is detrimental to our health and our physical health and our mental health. So how do you get rid of it? Well, I, in my experience, the way to approach just starting to look at shame is forgiving myself. Because shame is self-punishment for me. That's what that looks like. So the opposite of shame, the opposite of self-punishment is self-compassion. So that means if, you know, if I were looking at myself in the mirror, if I were a child, so I've talked about in my early episodes about I have this moment when I was a child where I was home from school, I was alone, and I was talking to my Persian cat and telling him about my day. If I were to look at that little girl and what would I say to her? If she were to say to me, I'm so ashamed for XYZ, what would I say to her? I would say, it's okay. I forgive you. It's okay. Let's, let's start over. You know, let's start from today and, and move forward. Because holding on to that sorrow just, just, you know, makes the shame grow and just continues to lead to me being unkind to myself. So I need to forgive myself for wherever I feel that that shame began and forgive myself for being unkind to myself. So, so as I was thinking how I started the episode, when it's quiet and you're all alone, 
Like when you're going to bed at night and you put your head on your pillow and you're, it's just you. It's just you inside that head. What are you saying to yourself? I was thinking of this honestly. I was thinking, what, what do I say to myself? Um, and so I thought, well, um, I'm saying I'm tired. <laughs> That's for sure. But, you know, lately, I've been saying, you, d you done good, you know? I feel like I've been saying, you did well today. There are some days that I'm kind of thinking, ah, oh, you could have done better. And that's where I have to stop that self-talk and say, but you did the best you could today, you know? So I wrote down, how vulnerable are you to shame? So from this point forward, as I've been working through recovery, how vulnerable am I to somebody coming up to me and telling me something really negative? How vulnerable am I to absorb, to, to, nurturing that seed and allowing it to grow into shame. And the answer for me is that I feel like I'm more vulnerable on bad days when I don't feel well. When I'm feeling positive and pumped up, I'm not going to nurture that seed. So if I were to continue to to keep trying to bring my best self forward every day, then I will be less vulnerable to shame. If I continue to acknowledge when my life is unmanageable, like I did when I first, uh, you know, the, a couple uh, months ago when I was like, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, you know, I remember right before I made that decision, I remember feeling like I was crumbling on the inside. I was feeling very unworthy. You know, I was feeling very much like the more pain I felt, the more I felt like I didn't deserve to feel good, to feel normal. I think I was talking about that yesterday. Um, so that's really where the self-care, it's really the shows the importance of self-care. The more that we maintain our self-care, by doing all of these things that I talk about, about meditation and communication, seeking joy, um, eating, sleeping, doing all of these, meeting our basic needs, the more 
I guess the less susceptible, the less vulnerable we are to feelings like shame. There's a there's a uh, an amazing quote by Brene Brown that I have actually in my office. If there's any coworkers listening, I have it in my office stuck on my whiteboard that says vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. I don't think I have the full version stuck to my whiteboard, but I think it might just say creativity. But vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. And I just feel that so deeply that, you know, vulnerability makes you want to stay small. But if you can practice courage, do the opposite of what vulnerability is telling you to do, you can get very, very big, very big, you know. So that's what I have today. A deep one. I think that was a deep one. Um, I was very pensive. Uh, anyway, so um, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.